I would like to begin reading Psalm 98, and then I will also read some words from Revelation chapter 5, keeping in mind that the title of the sermon is A New Song. Watch for that phrase as it appears in these passages, please. Psalm 98, the word of the Lord to us this evening. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre, with a lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, and the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Then turning to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 5, beginning with verse 6, and reading to the end of the chapter. John is seeing this vision given to him between the throne, the throne of God, and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, obviously Jesus Christ, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, For you were slain, by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. 
and the elders fell down and worshipped. The word of God to us this evening. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to begin my sermon tonight by reading for you a a beautiful verse. I I suspect you've run across it before, although it comes from a little-known prophet, Zephaniah, in chapter 2, verse 17. The prophet writes this, The Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I find that a very comforting and beautiful verse, and I suspect you as well, this idea of the mighty one who is rejoicing over us with gladness, quieting us by his love, and exulting over us with loud singing. Tonight, maybe, God singing because of us gathered here. That last phrase, of course, is especially important to us tonight. God exults over his people, and he does it with singing. Now, I don't claim to know what that might be like. This is one of those things about God that's just inconceivable to us at this point. But God singing. And if God sings, then doesn't it make sense that those made in his image would also sing? Those who are like him. Even those, of course, that don't acknowledge him, that don't honor him, that that singing would just be part of that image of God in in themselves, but all the more so those restored into the image of God through Jesus Christ, singing must be a part of their lives. So it's no wonder then that the Bible talks over and over and over again about the people of God singing. It gives us examples of people singing. Of course, primary or first thing we think about in Old Testament terms is, is the Psalms. Uh, many of them are, are written, probably all of them written to be sung within a congregation. Some of them specifically directed to the choir master, uh, the choir director. Uh, some of them listing an actual tune name that we don't know anymore, but Many, many songs here listed for us. But that's not the only thing. There are other songs in the Old Testament and examples of songs in the New Testament. And I'll mention those a little bit more later on. But um, there's not only the examples, but there's the exhortation. Sing to the Lord a new song, says Psalm 98. And other psalms echo that. Well, let me start tonight, my first point being, what's the occasion that brings out the song in us? 
Why should we sing? What do we have to sing about? And let me read Psalm 98.1 again to you. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for, because, he has done marvelous things. Marvelous things. And those, says the psalmist, result in salvation. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. In this particular case, the psalmist doesn't specify what mighty things he might have in mind. In some cases in the Psalms, the psalmist does specify that. Psalm 18, for example. We're told, at least in the, in the subscript there, the, the heading of that, that David sang this after being delivered from Saul. And there are other psalms similar to that. But Psalm 98 just says, mighty acts, salvation in general. Of course, living in the Old Testament times, as he did, he must have been thinking first and primarily about God's leading his people out of slavery in Egypt. That would be the primary mighty work of God, done with a, a mighty arm, an out, a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Leading them then through many dangers in the wilderness and finally settling them in the promised land. He must have been thinking about things like opening up the Red Sea for the people and then swallowing up Pharaoh and his hosts. He must have been thinking about sending manna from heaven and quail at just the right time and the, and the rock springing open as a, as a spring of water. Those mighty things. He must have been thinking about going through that wilderness and God leading them and then getting to the promised land and, and there's the big walled city, but then the big walled city it, it crumbles, the walls crumble before the Lord. The mighty acts of God giving them that land that he had promised to them. When you get to the other passage that I read, those people, those elders and living creatures have something more to sing about. They're in the presence of Jesus and Jesus has just been declared worthy of opening the scroll. What scroll? Well, you, you read that book of Revelation and you, you realize that the scroll contains the plan of God from that point forward, the working out of his plan until the end. And some of the book of Revelation is going to, to show us what that involves. But, but Jesus, Jesus is the one who now is worthy to open that to kick off this further development in God's plan until its end. And so these elders and living creatures, and then they're joined, as I read, by, by the angels, and then pretty soon the whole creation is, is singing because Jesus is worthy of song. God's people have every reason to sing because God has acted and is acting to redeem them, to redeem us from a fate worse than death. And he's acting in mighty ways to do so. 
Those actions, moreover, says the psalmist, reveal the character of God. And the psalmist talks specifically about the the steadfast love of God, that intense, burning love that God has for us. Love, as I mentioned, as I read that first passage, that causes him to exalt over us in joy. He loves us so much, and he delights so much in what he sees for the sake of his son that he breaks out into song. That steadfast love of God, how undeserved and yet how real God is love. It's a reason for song, a song like, what wondrous love is this, O my soul? A song like, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. And then the psalmist talks about God's faithfulness. Beautiful quality that our God has, of course, that once he makes a promise, he always keeps that promise, always and forever. It's his very nature. And that is a secure rock on which we may stand, no matter what, it forms the foundation of our lives, this faithfulness of God. It's a a cause for singing. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There's no shadow of turning with thee. And he has revealed his righteousness, says the psalmist. He's true to his word. He said he would bless his people, and he's true to that word. He does bless. He said he would judge those who have fallen against him, gone against him, and and do not obey his ways. And he does judge. He punishes those who refuse to repent and to turn to him in faith. Again, the the foundation on which we are, are built on which we build our lives. It's it's beautiful. It's cause for singing. All right, so I'm I'm kind of general so far. I want to be more concrete. I want to be more personal. So let me say some things in a positive way, not just negatively. It's because of God's mighty acts, his loving acts of deliverance, that God has made it possible for you and me to live in close fellowship with him, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who was ruling all things, that we could live in close fellowship, so close that we can call him Father. And that we don't need to be afraid that he's going to reject us somehow because of our sin, because of our, of our guilt. The shame is gone, the guilt is gone, full acceptance. And so we look at all of the things in our lives now and we see them as a the personal gifts of a loving God, not just something that somehow happened with us to, uh, to us, you know, that's, that's the way the cookie crumbles or, or something that, that we earn, but, but no, this loving God has poured these things into our lives. And of course, we have the Holy Spirit with us at all times to give us wisdom and guidance, help us walk in the footsteps of the Savior. And so we become involved in those very works that God is accomplishing in the world, his good plans, his purposes, we become his partners. What what dignity it gives to us to be involved in that. And we're assured that his love will remain, no matter what hard things we may face, that God's plans are only and always good. We live the knowledge that Christ is in control of the future both of the world and of our lives. We know we're headed for a new heaven and a new earth. 
And on the way, we will live in the company of other people. We will always have brothers and sisters in Christ who are also being changed for good. And God will show in the end that our faith is not in vain. Well, I can go on and on with this. I'm just trying to to mention some of the reasons, some of the things that God has done with his mighty arm in giving us his salvation. These wonderful realities, these are what the psalmist has in mind. When he says God has done marvelous things, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. That's why we sing. That's why we sing this new song. Sing praises to one so perfect in every way. We sink out of a out of a deep joy and love for him because there's hope and peace in our hearts. Because goodness is guaranteed to be part of our lives every day in this life and throughout eternity. So we so we sing. We sing praises, we sing for joy. Now, I need to digress just a little bit here. Is every song that believers sing a song of joy and a song of praise? Well, that's the kind of rhetorical questions that ministers sometimes ask off the pulpit and say, no, no, not at all. I think that's a little bit where the praise and worship movement has, has kind of gone astray, among other things. But it's, it's not always this song of praise and joy The Psalms themselves, of course, give us the clue to that. Perfect examples of other kinds of songs that arise from the hearts of believers. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Psalm 74, O God, why do you cast us off forever? Songs of lamentation. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Or Psalm 78, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Psalms of instruction. Songs of instruction. You just have to take a look at the songbook, as I'm sure many of you have done upon occasion. Read the topical index in the back, and and you see many different reasons and and occasions for, for singing as these songs are categorized. We pour out our confession, we pour out our griefs to the Lord, our complaints, our petitions, and all those sorts of things. They are not, per se, songs of praise and joy, but they do rise, though, out of a life of faith. They do, they, they are offered and can be offered only by those who have benefited from God's mighty acts of salvation. At the root of all of those songs are God's mighty acts of salvation. Well, enough digression. Back to my text. We've seen the reason for our new song. Secondly, why is it called a new song? What's new? What does that mean? Well, the word new, of course, means uh, something that has not been seen before. So how are the songs that we sing and praise and joy new songs? And what about those other kinds of songs? Are they new also in a sense? The first thing we have to notice and remember is that when the Bible uses the term new, it is always describing or almost always describing things that 
God is accomplishing, something that God is doing in the world, the good things that God is doing. I say that because in modern parlance, new does not necessarily mean improved. Uh, you know that from the advertising that you read and things that you see in your store shelf, that new and improved is, uh, is questionable in some cases and, and more than questionable in others. But in God's case, new always means improved. So the new covenant is better than the old. The book of Hebrews makes that clear to us and it points out the different ways. Or when the prophets say to the exiles and the people that are going through difficult circumstances, God is going to do a new thing. They mean that God is going to bring his people out of their captivity, out of judgment. He's going to do a new thing that is going to be good for them. Again, God tells us that he is going to make a new heaven and a new earth, both infinitely better than the present heaven and the present earth that are so infected by sin. And those words of Revelation 21, I, I'm sure that they thrill you as they do me. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. For the former things have passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. We believers are new. 1 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so God exhorts us, following. You were taught to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. All this newness that God is bringing about in the fallen world, in the imperfect world, all this newness leads to the new song that we sing. Song that describes the new thing that God is doing sometimes, song that maybe enables us to respond to this new thing, a song that perhaps will help us as new creatures to grow in our new life, or a song perhaps that will help us to interact with our amazing and loving God, our Father, who has given us new birth and made us his children. These are the new songs. That's the primary biblical notion of newness. But I do want to just, again, digress a little bit and add something else. There are other senses in which songs are new songs to us. God's work isn't static. It progresses. It, it changes. And the occasions for it change as time goes by. That's true about his basic acts of salvation and also about his later works in the lives of individuals. And I talk about some of these acts of salvation. Think about the Old Testament songs. The songs change depending on what God is doing at the time. Moses and Miriam sing one of the first songs. 
after the first recorded songs, after God drowned the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has thrown into the sea, they sang. Now, the circumstances, okay? They just saw it happen. And they saw this act of God, this mighty act of God. It's reflected in their song. Later, circumstances change as the ark is brought to its dwelling place on Mount Zion. And David sings a a new song, a a different song for that specific occasion. And then later the birth of Jesus draws near. And Zechariah and Mary and then Simeon after the birth of Christ, they sing songs appropriate to that specific occasion. And it goes on like that. Uh, The song that many scholars think is a song in Philippians chapter 2 that beautiful hymn of praise to God. Uh, let me just read a little bit of it for you. It's written in such a way that it, it certainly appears to be a hymn that these people used. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That song, written after Jesus did what he did, reflecting back on the works of Jesus. You see what I mean? by circumstances changing. So the song changes. It becomes a a new song in that sense. Christian composers that have written after the closing of of the canon also have written new songs inspired by ways that God is working in their lives, inspired by occasions within their church, or in the world at a given time. And then there's another sense in which songs are new. The same song that we have sung before, maybe many times, can suddenly take on new meaning and significance for us. I'm sure you've experienced that. I remember the song, Abide With Me, uh, was a song that I sang when I was young, kid, church, sang it, I kind of knew the words, Abide with me, but I I just sang them until my first wife died. And then I sing these words, Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens. Lord, with me abide. Another verse, I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight, tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. Those, new, those, those songs take on a new meaning. See what I mean? New creatures sing a new song in the light of new things that God has done in the world and the new revelations that he gives to us about his working in our lives. My third point, 
Why does God urge us to express ourselves through the medium of music? Why a new song? Well, I begin by repeating what I said in my introduction. God himself sings. And like I said, I wonder what that sounds like, but he sings. And this musical God has created many of his creatures with the ability to put sounds together in patterns, in rhythm, what we would call music. The birds are good at that, as you well know. And I'm thinking specifically of the mockingbird that hangs out around our house. Wow, that guy's got some ability from God to remember, I don't know, 30, 40 different patterns of of notes. The whales do it. I'm sure you've heard them, those sounds in in the depths. But God has given, of course, human beings a special ability to hear sound, to process the sound that's being received, to recognize patterns of rhythm and pitch and timbre, and all of these kinds of things, and then in turn to create those sounds ourselves with our voices and with our instruments. As a result of that ability that God has given to his creatures made in his image, music really is universal. It's it's everywhere, and it has been everywhere all the time. People of all cultures and all ages make music, and they respond to music. It's all around us. But think of these things in particular. Music engages different parts of the brain. It engages, when it's, when it's in song form with words, it engages our ability to reason, of course, as, as words always do. And so it uses that capacity of our mind that God has given to us. A song can take important biblical truths and compress those truths into a few words that are memorable. You know, songs are are basically poems, and that's what poems do too. They, They use imagery, and then they compress important ideas and thoughts into a few words that are memorable. And songs do that for us. So they engage that that rational part of us, that, that verbal part of us. But music also engages our emotions. Neuroscientists have demonstrated, and, and they continue to explore this field in interesting ways, demonstrate how music lights up those parts of the brain that are so necessary for us to have emotions. They can do that now, you know, with all their, their fancy gadgets, and they can... They can see what parts of the brain are responding to things. And wow, that music, the emotional part there, is all lit up. Uh, so no wonder, of course, we say, duh, the lullaby calms the child, right? And Olympic athletes standing on the podium after having won, doing great so far until the national anthem is played. And then they dissolve into tears. All of that emotion comes spilling out. And of course, 
you know from movies and television programs and musicals and the like, how music can make us feel certain ways. So John Williams can, can play for us. Dum 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 dum. And if you've seen Star Wars, you see this dark mask, and, and you have all these feelings of foreboding. Sure, because music does that for us. And then further than than that, music engages us physically. We need to form the words we speak and sing in music. We use our vocal cords. We use our fingers on the piano or the guitar, or whatever instrument it might make might might be. We we clap our hands sometimes. Old kids delight in this, and and we would do it too. Except we're more inhibited. We're supposed to be grown up, but we feel like clapping and we tap our toes, and the rhythm is physically affecting our bodies. When we hear jazz or we hear a Sousa march or something like that. You see, music engages all parts of us. How perfect then to express what is deep inside us and to reaffirm the truth of what God is doing as he makes all things new. And here's another thing. Music helps us remember. That's one reason why advertising uses music in the way that it does. It wants us to remember the brand that wants us to remember certain things. And so you get these, these little jingles that help us remember those things. And, of course, parents know that. And so it's A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and, you know, because kids can remember that way better. Um, and, and music does. It helps us remember partly because it's engaging all these parts of us how suited music is then to help us remember the crucial truths of what God has done and is doing. And I think one of the primary evidences of that is the way that music stays with us to the very end of our lives. Maybe some of you have observed that in parents or in other elderly people, people that that are sitting there and, and they can't remember your name and they don't ever say anything else. And then you break into a familiar hymn with them. I've seen that at nursing homes. And all of a sudden, a, a, a switch flips, and they're singing. They're actually singing words, the same words that are in that hymn. It's, hymns help us remember. And one more thing. Song is so well-suited to help us express things together as a group. We do that in corporate worship on Sundays, of course. We know that God made us as community. He, he brought us together. And song strengthens the bonds that we have as community. And it enables us to express ourselves well as a community. One of the songs that has come to mean a lot for me to me in uh, recent days is, is the song In Christ Alone. It's a relatively new song. I suspect you've sung it too, but I have sung that in a congregation and sometimes leading a congregation in worship. And and then what you see is that person and that person and one is a young child and one is a teenager and, and somebody else is an elderly saint and one is a woman and 
one is a man and frankly one prefers country music and another prefers jazz and and so forth but then but then we start singing this song no guilt in life no fear in death this is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny no power of hell no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll stand. And that's the testimony of all of these believers, all of these saints, together expressing it. So God says, sing to the Lord a new song. And Christian songs need to be a staple in our lives together. And also for us individually. We need to teach those songs to our children. Your grandchildren, perhaps. Or maybe your children. Jesus loves me, the sign of course. It's an important truth for them to remember. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Written by a guy that worked at Bucknell University. Sure, and something they can remember, and a beautiful truth. Let's encourage people in our congregation who have a special ear for music to train that ear and to help one day lead in worship. But you don't need a, a special ear to sing. I've got a granddaughter that, that really has a tin ear, frankly, and, and she can't really keep rhythm very well either. I don't care. She loves to sing, and I'm thankful for it. And if that's you, sing out. We didn't need a confession. We just <laughs> The new song. The new song had its beginning in eternity with God himself. It's going to go on forever as we join other believers from all parts of the globe, all generations around the throne. Wow. Psalm even suggests that one day the whole creation will join in. And then you get to that book of Revelation and you see all creation, in fact, singing these songs of praise to Jesus. Our psalm says, let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. What music there will be when, as Paul says, the whole creation is set free from its bondage to decay. Sing a new song to the Lord, brothers and sisters. Let's practice here on earth for our part in that mass chorus when Jesus comes back. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of music. As our brother Martin Luther said, a a fair and glorious gift that you bestowed upon us as your image bears. And we are saddened to think how that gift has been misused throughout the years and how it has turned into something that would mislead people, something that was, was not clean and beautiful at all. 
But we thank you for doing a new work and renewing us as new creatures and then enabling us to take that wonderful gift and use it to express this new thing that you're doing, to, to revel in it, to interact with you at all stages and circumstances of our lives through this wonderful medium of music. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to help us to develop our, our understanding of this, our, to be faithful in, in using it together communally, each of us individually. Lord, use music in the quietness and darkness of the night when we wake up afraid and anxious. Use music in all the circumstances, the happy ones, the difficult ones. Bring these songs to mind. Let them fill our minds and our hearts that we might again remember the good thing that you are doing and that we might praise and honor you for it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.